Hello, and welcome to Magic is Real, a podcast focused on the fascinating world of near-death experiences, spirit communication, and all things metaphysical and spiritual. The mission of this project is to share messages of hope and inspiration with others, and to spread the word that death is only an illusion. Thank you for being here with an open heart and mind. I wish you peace, light, and love always. Hello, and welcome to Magic is Real. I am Shannon, and I'm your host. And today I have one of the coolest guys you'll ever meet in your life with me. And his name is Reverend Bill McDonald. And I'll tell you about him in a second. But first, I just want to say hello and welcome. And thank you so much for showing up and being here today, Bill. Well, it, it was my honor and pleasure. I, I just got back from India about eight, 10 days ago, and, and I had a eye infection there. So I get to where I don't have to, I get to wear my eye patch again, which gives me this Dr. Evil look, which is kind of cool. And, uh, and I'm wearing a shirt that was given gifted to me when I was there giving lectures. And uh, I, I was taken so great uh, of care in India. It's probably the best trip to India I've ever had. I've taken many. Normally I stay at an ashram, I stay at cheap hotels, I stay at people's houses. This time it was all five-star treatment or better. Uh, and uh, I, I lectured in, and, and I went to Lock, was it uh, Lucknow up at the Himalayan foothills? I went to Delhi, I went to uh, Mumbai. I was I spent most of my time in Chennai in Southern India. That's four major places and yet, I was only gone 20 days. So I was busy. I was uh, meeting lots and lots of people, hundreds of people, hundreds and hundreds of people. And so uh, it, it feels good to get back. And uh, yep, so. it was worth the pink eye. Yes, it was. It was. Now <laughs> I'm going to introduce you briefly. Um, I, I, I'm basically just going to say that you've had an extraordinary life, I would say, um, of full of spiritual experiences. And you've written some books and um, you were the author of Warrior, a Spirit, a Spiritual Odyssey and Alchemy of a Warrior's Heart. You served in the Vietnam War um, and you have so many stories to tell that we can go anywhere. But I know that you had a near-death experience when you were eight years old. Um, and so normally I ask my guests to tell me about their childhood a little bit. Uh, just to kind of get a sense of who you are as a human and what your spiritual beliefs may have been. But it sounds to me, I'm assuming this all started very early for you because of your experience. So however you'd like to share where it all began, I'm just going to have all you. Began. Where did it all Let, begin? Uh, I'm thinking of what, what that guy sings that song, where it all began. Anyway, <laughs> uh, if I could only sing. So uh, I started life off very young. I know this comes as a surprise to you now that I'm going on 77 years old, but I try to tell my grandchildren, no, I was, I was your age once. Really, Grandpa? I go, yeah, I never, and I never lost my phone. I tell my parents I can't find my phone. Come on, what's wrong with you kids? Anyway, <laughs> so I, I was born uh, uh, right at the end of the war and uh, in San Francisco of all places. And uh, I, I, I was, my mother was, um, she was, kind of an Italian gypsy fortune teller into yoga and meditation, uh, psychic. She was a character and, uh, and from her, I learned a lot. And of course the genetics, of course. And, uh, but I, I can't remember not meditating. I can't remember not being on a spiritual quest, even when I was two and a half, three years old, earliest memories. 
uh, I'd be making up my own meditations. In fact, I thought I was making stuff up uh, as a kid because I was visualizing energy and light and, and all this stuff coming and breath coming through my navel and running up my back. And I was visualizing all these techniques. And then when I went to India, my first trip to India, and I met this Tibetan refugee, this monk, and he didn't speak English and I didn't speak Tibetan. And he spent three days with me showing me this technique where you take the light and, you know, and you breath through the navel and you bring it up and you bring it down the spine. And I go, wait a minute, I made this up. How could you be doing the same thing, right? So it, it took me 59 years to, to learn what I already taught myself when I was two and a half, three years old. So that was interesting experience. So I think we come into life imprinted with a certain spiritual DNA. I don't think we start in a vacuum. We don't start with a blank slate, contrary to what people think. Now, some people out there may not believe in reincarnation, and that's okay, that's fine. But there's differences in people when they come into this world. So wherever they want to attribute it to, but we're, we're equal opportunity to mess up or, or become great. But some of us don't have the ability to do that because of karma, you know? So it's like, I wanted to be Michael Jordan growing up and, uh, and that was never gonna happen at five foot six, a little white guy running around, 100, all 148 pounds of me or 45 pounds of me. And uh, so you have to look at what your talents are this lifetime and, and use them. So growing up, uh, I was heavy into what I call the religion of love. I was born in a family where it was not deeply rich <laughs> That wasn't the philosophy of the family. Uh, if you read my books, uh, you'll see that uh, some people, oh my God, what a childhood, how terrible. And I'm going, no, it's the best thing that ever happened to me because it really taught me compassion. And it made me actually focus on love and service and helping others. And, and uh, when I was eight years old to get what you're trying to get me to go to, when I was eight years old, I was deathly sick. And I mean, deathly sick. Uh, I had a, a, a double pneumonia and had a kidney, a kidney disease uh, that was at the time not, not curable. Uh, I had uh, four or five other diseases all at the same time. It was like the body is start with the mumps and then that set me up to kind of get strep throat, that set me up to get pneumonia, that set me up to get uh, you know kidney infection, that set me up to the whole, cascading the whole system down. And nobody, nobody brought me to the doctor. Finally, a doctor saw me and said, hey, take this kid to the hospital. He's dying, you know, maybe too late. So I got to the county hospital in San Jose and, uh, and it put me, strapped me in a gurney, literally strapped me in a gurney and rolled me down the halls. My parents just waved goodbye. This is, this is the old days of a child going to hospital. You didn't get to go with the child and you had clowns and, you know, and all this stuff, no. I was strapped down, I was removed, and, I, and the last thing I heard him tell my parents was, you know, he may have brought him in here too late because, uh, you know, it doesn't look good, you know, so prepare yourself. That's what I'm hearing as an eight-year-old. I'm going, wow, that's kind of discouraging. So I, I go down to this isolation ward, or maybe totally by myself in a room by myself, and then they take these big needles and they jam them into my back. I could hear this pump, pump, you know, and they're pumping all this fluids out of my lungs. And, and then they got done and uh, nobody asked, how do you feel? Are you okay? Nothing, just, boom, get in this bed. I get in the bed 
and they turn the lights off and leave. And there I am, my first night away from home. You're a baby. Eight years old, little kid. And all of a sudden, and nobody come down to check on me the whole night, right? So during that night, feeling lonely, feeling great pain, uh, I found myself expiring. It was like, all of a sudden, my room is dark, getting darker, darker till it's total dark. And then it starts lighting up. So it's like somebody came in and turned all the lights on, but it was, it was like a cloud, like, like I'm in a cloud. There's this, you know, cloud light around you. And I, and I looked down and there's my, my, my body. I knew it was my body, but I knew also at, at that age, I was saying to myself, that's my body, but it's not me. There's a difference. I knew at that age, you know, that's, that's not me. This is me floating above it. Right. And so at eight years old, when you have a near death like experience, um, you're not going to do a pat. You're not going to do a life review. What do you got to review? Eight years of what? Oh, you, you know, I mean, there's nothing to review. But I had a preview because I was eight and a half. I had a preview up in 50 years till I was almost 59. I didn't know the age when I until I got there, and I go, I've run out of, I've run out of memories of the future. You know, it's like, oh, okay, because the next 50 years were all deja vu. It was like, I knew, I saw everything rolled out of who I was going to marry, saw myself in combat sitting behind a machine gun. I had no clue what war it was. I saw Asians. I saw helicopters. I, I didn't know what they were. I mean, the Huey helicopter wasn't even invented then, but I'm seeing them. I'm going, they look like tadpoles to me, you know, kind of running around. And, uh, but I saw all the major highlights of my life going forward. So the good news was, uh, I realized when I'm seeing that, oh, then I'm not really going to, I'm coming back to it. Obviously I'm not going to be dead, dead because there's a future waiting for you. But I kept seeing these two numbers. They were in this vision. There was a five, nine, and then the five would flip. So it looked like two, nine. Five, not 59, 29, kept flipping back and forth. I had no clue what that meant. Later on, uh, when I had my, after my second near-death experience, I, I kind of found out a little bit, but just as a record, that was it. So uh, kind of glossing over that experience because that's just one little piece of my life. It's just, it was just, yeah, it's just, just a near-death experience. I was one year in the hospital. I had visits. Uh, from my family, from my stepfather and my mother, they'd come for about 10 minutes on Sundays, I think it was. That was it. Otherwise, I was totally by myself. Once in a while, there'd be another kid in the ward. No television, no radio, no newspapers, no magazines, no books, no toys, no radio, no record player, no musical instruments. As you could tell, that's a big deal with me. Yeah. But it was nothing, right? There was nothing. Wow. So that was also one of the best things that ever happened to me because I had 24 hours every day. They'd come in that when the shift changed at six o'clock in the morning. I'm eight years old. Why'd they get me up at six o'clock in the morning? Well, it was a shift change. You know, this shift I had to do that. You had to get up, they changed you. Know, they, I got a shot every every single day. I got a shot. The penicillin every single day for a year, I got a shot. And 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 about every other day I had blood tests. And it was the old old needles, the big fat needles, and they didn't have 
like you do a thing and you keep, keep plugging things in. It was really old fashioned, everything with the wooden wheelchairs, you know, with the, it, it had legs for them and everything. So it was a whole different world. But by being isolated for a year with no distractions, I really used my mind to dive deeper and deeper within myself. I was doing things like I'd take it, I'd hold my eyes, I'd close my eyes, I'd, I'd push my eyeballs in so they could focus up here. And then I would see colors and I go, oh, that's really cool. I could see, oh, that's kind of neat. It looks like an eyeball. What is this thing? You know, I could see all these neat things and I would just spend all day playing games like that. And then I would focus on my breathing. I didn't know what I was doing. And, uh, and I'd be loving God. That was it. I was just grateful, thankful for whatever I had. Uh, I was abandoned by my family. I probably could have been depressed. I probably could have been mad. Nah, I just go, you know what? This is a gift. This has always been my view of life. Everything that happens to you is a gift. Everything that happens to you is supposed to happen to it. Even at that age, that was my attitude. It was like, I mean, I look now at kids and I go, I don't think there's a kid out there that thinks that, you know, oh, I got I got in trouble in school, I got a disease, whatever. But even now when I get cancer, I had cancer, everything I look, cancer is a gift. Everything's a gift. It's what you do with it. It's it's just how you use that information. So I use being alone as a way to go deeper and deeper and deeper. So I was having out-of-body experiences, I was having uh, unique spiritual experiences and visits from sages and the great ones and light beings and whatever it was. I don't know if it was real or imagined, you know, but when you got 24 hours laying in bed, I was on total bed rest. I couldn't get up. I couldn't use the bathroom. I couldn't walk down the hall. I had to stay in the bed for everything, including, you know, sponge bath, everything I had to be in the bed. So there was, yeah, it was, it was, it was, it was interesting, interesting times. So, uh, when I got out of the hospital, and they're, now I'm going to take you to a place where I, what I'm doing now, because now, now I'm out what I call a, on my, my world healing tour. I'm teaching people self-healing. And people are making fun of me because everywhere they go, I'm always talking about it's all about love. It's, it's about love. It's you know, love, love, love. So in, in India and in Europe and, and across the United States now, people call me, oh, don't talk to Reverend Bill. He's, he's, brother, he's brother love. Brother Love, he's on his Brother Love's uh, traveling uh, salvation healing show or something, right? So I'm getting all that, and, I, and it's like they're insulting me, and I'm going, oh, no, that's exactly what I'm doing. I'm not insulted at all. No, that's okay, Brother Love. I, I can handle that. There's worse things to be called. So when I got home from the hospital after a year, uh, and I then studied Self-Realization Fellowship, which is uh, an organization started by Paramahansa Yogananda, and I read the book Autobiography of a Yogi uh, at nine years old. And uh, so I was familiar with Babaji's Cave. It's a hard book to read for a little kid, trust me. If you ever read it, it's, I mean, it talks about concepts that, you know, like, what, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? You know, karma, what are you talking about? Uh, the Kundalini energy, what you, I mean, all these concepts that now we accept as regular vocabulary. In 1950s, early 50s, that wasn't the norm, you know, people were, were trying to understand reincarnation was hard enough, but they didn't understand Kriya Yoga. They didn't understand about the energy in the spine. None of that, that was kind of like breaking new grounds. And for a little kid like me, I come out of the hospital and first thing I did was, hey, I want to get, I want to get, you know, 
because I saw myself in the future maybe having some health problems, 29, 59. I wasn't sure if those were going to be pivotal years for my health or death or something. So I became a vegetarian at uh, nine years old, only one in the family. And I'm going to tell you in the 1950s, there wasn't anything on the menu anywhere you went to eat. There was no special, there was nothing for me, not even at home. So um, it was unique, but I knew I had to switch. And I also knew I had to take care of myself. And uh, so anyway, so there I am and I'm studying, I started to study the Self-Realization Fellowship lessons. And I learned what they called recharging exercises. And in, in Self-Realization Fellowship, they teach you these physical exercises and I think they were designed for Westerners because they didn't want to do all this yoga exercise, but it's about dynamic tension and channeling energy and creating energy in your body and recharging your battery. And everybody that looks at it as, as exercises to prepare you for meditation, which they are. I, at that age, realized that, no, that's about changing the frequency of the tuning fork, which we are, you know, we're our body, our mind, and our soul are like three tuning forks. And when you do these recharging exercises, you're like giving it energy and you're changing the frequency. And if your frequencies are all lined up and vibrating together, then you're healthy. Anyway, that was, that's me at nine years old, my thinking, but it hasn't changed. I still, I still believe that, right? So one day uh, I'm sitting in the fun room and I hear this breaks and I hear a crash and I hear all kinds of noise outside. I run outside and my uh, family dog, uh, got hit by a car at about 40 miles an hour. And it was, it hit the grill and it bounced. It was laying on the street with its tongue hanging out, blood came out of the ears, out of the nose, out of the eyes. Uh, it was, it was, looked like it was broken up. I mean, it looked like every bone was broken. And I just picked it up and I had such love for it. And it was just, uh, uh, it looked like it was getting ready to die, right? I went out of my shift because I brought it in the house, right? And I sat on the couch and I just wrapped my hands around it. And I remembered the recharging exercises. I go, you know, if you could channel the energy in, you're charging your batteries. You can also expel that energy then into something. And that's something being my dog. So I visualized energy coming through the crown chakra, which I just said the top of my head. I wasn't, you know, into that kind of vocabulary. But I go, I, I channeled, I visualized this light, the energy coming in. And you just, you know, you tension up and then just bring that tension and using the hands, I thought my hands like an antenna, you know, this is nine years old, right? It's like an antenna. I'm going to put this antenna, I'm going to wrap this, my fingers around my dog's head and his body, you know, on the, on the, on the abdomen and on the top of the head. Now it's just going to channel energy going through his spine. So I did this and I, I mean, I just really focused on the energy in about two minutes, the dog, he like, he got shocked or something. It was like clear and the dog jumps up runs around the house, lived another five, six, seven, eight years, wow. and uh, nothing wrong. So I thought, okay, so that was my first lesson in healing. I go, okay, tension, energy, visualization, and love. I, I, I took a dog that was going to basically be dead and, and revived it. And there was no placebo effect there because the dog doesn't know anything. It doesn't, you know, it's responding to the energy. That's all. So when I graduated high school 24 hours after i graduated the actually the actual ceremony 24 hours later i was in oakland getting on an airplane flying on a one-way ticket on us 
the United States Overseas Airlines, which went out of business. I was on their last flight. They had a special deal. I get there and then the, the FBI came in and locked their tires and, you know, and, and repossessed their air, airplanes. So there I was, I had $40 and I'm living in Hawaii, right? So before I left, my little sister, bless her heart, she just died here last year and uh, she had dementia. But she, she had a boyfriend whose grandfather lived in Hawaii. And I didn't know anything about the guy other than my sister says, well, if you get in trouble, you should have at least a telephone number or somebody on you know, an address. So she gave me his address. So I go over there and I realized $40 didn't last me about two or three days in Hawaii. I mean, and that's not eating. I thought, so I, I go to this corner where I'm at and I'm asked somebody, you know where this address is at? You know, it was uh, apartment number two, uh, 200 uh, Lili Lukalani Avenue, I think was the address. And the guy looks at me like, oh, you crazy? You're standing right across the street from us, it. right? The apartment right there, you can see it. I go, oh, great. So that was too easy, right? I, I mean, it could have been anywhere on the island. So I knock on the door and this guy that was, a turns out he's a kahuna priest. Think of witch doctor, shaman, healer, a medicine man, but a Hawaiian style. The kahuna religion, a lot of people don't understand it. Just now, the kahuna religion is just being explored. And now they've got these you know, people that are teaching love, forgiveness, you know, and all that stuff all the aspects of healing from the Hawaiian religion. I was taught that it, I was, I went over there, I had my surfboard, of course, you know, and, 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 and I run into this guy, he opens up the door and I knock on the door and he looks at me, he says, yeah, I've been expecting you. Oh, somebody told you no, because he wasn't told I was going to come. He was expecting me. And I said, what are you talking about? He says, so he goes this long story that when King Kamehameha, the conqueror of the islands, right, the big guy, uh, King Kamehameha was was the big guy. He, I was, according to this guy, and this is just what he's telling me. I was, I was 18 years old. He says that I was the big, I was the big kahuna. I was King Kamehameha's personal kahuna. I was his priest. And that he, the em most eminent kahuna of the 20th century, I mean, he meant President Eisenhower and all these movie stars, Kirk Douglas, Otto Preminger. I mean, the guy was a real deal um, and a healer. And he said that he was my apprentice and that uh, everything he knows he owes to me. And he'd been expecting me and I'm going, he's telling, he's 60 some years old. And he's telling an 18 year old kid this, right? And I'm going, oh, what a bunch of crap. I'm listening to this stuff going, what a bunch of stuff. Yeah, okay, all right, yeah, okay. And then, so he, he says, he says, everybody comes to me. Everybody wants to be my apprentice, but I've turned everybody down. He says, you're the only one that rightfully owns all this. He says, I'll give you everything I got. I said, I don't want it. No, I don't want it. He says, no, I'm going to teach you. So he sits down and he teaches me. If you want to, if you want to heal somebody, you don't heal them, you heal you. And I go, what do you mean? He says, you love you. You forgive you. You have to be grateful. You have to be sorry for anything you did to hurt anybody or, or their perception of being hurt. But if you have, it's all healing starts with loving you. And then once you love you, and you realize that you are part of the oneness of the universe, that everybody is you and you are they. So when you love you and you forgive you, you're healing not just you, you're healing up, up some of the energy of the universe you're, you're taking. It. So if you really wanna heal people, heal yourself. 
And people don't, they don't understand that when I'm going on talking. So that was the second thing I learned because when I got to be oh, in my late sixties, I realized there was some great value what he told me when I was 18, but it took me that long because I was able to, to use these hands doing the energy thing. And then I realized if I combined the old Hawaiian kahuna religion, healing techniques with what I discovered using yoga and, and visualizing, you know, the spinal column and the energy and all, I don't even know what name to give it. I still don't know what name to give it, but I, I combined those two things. Plus my first three or four trips into India where I met gurus and, and, and people in caves that had no title and no name. And uh, I met people in temples and on the roads uh, and in dreams and in visions. I learned a lot of other stuff. And so I've taken all these things that I've learned from three near-death experiences, from um, a rainbow body experience, which we can talk about later, and from my life experiences, which are literally in the thousands and thousands. Because people are, oh, what are you doing? You run out of stories. I was asked that 20 years ago. I go, I never run out. Something happens every week, almost every day. You know, it's like my trip to India. It's like all kinds of things happen, right? So. In my late 60s and in my 70s, I realized uh, after being told in a naughty palm leaf reading, which another subject we can talk about sometime, but I, I, and a tarot card readings and readings from uh, psychics, all these independent readings I had, they all come back to one thing. There's healing power in my hands. Your job is to use that and teach people to use their own. It's not about you healing people. It's about teaching people how to heal themselves. And so my third near-death experience, which I will talk about because it's related to this, uh, that's where I learned uh, the importance of actually learning a technique that I could share with others. So that's kind of, you wanted to base this background. That was kind of a background. So my child, then I went to Vietnam, of course, and, and I got investigated by the CIA and by the CID, which is like NCIS, except for the army, uh, because I kept saying who was gonna get killed, what airplanes were gonna crash or burn, and that just unnerved them because nobody could know that unless they were doing something. And I was investigated and had a file on me, and, and I thought they were trying to prosecute me. And, and uh, I left Vietnam in 1967. And then in 2014 or 12 or someplace in there, uh, I get a call from Langley, Virginia from the CIA. <laughs> they had a file on me. They wanted help on something they were trying to do, re trying to reproduce what I was doing. They go, I said, well, if you got about 40, 40 years, I'll teach you guys a little Kriya Yoga and we can you know, get a group going. They'd want to hear that. They, they said, we got a $20 million budget. We, we want to do what you were doing. We could do it electronically. I said, no, you can't. You know, Because there was instances where I had 18 rounds of, uh, of automatic, you know, assault weapon fired at me and one round hit the chest protector, blew a hole right in the heart. And uh, the other rounds went to the back. The other, I'm sitting this way facing with a machine gun, guy on the other side exactly shadowed to me facing the other way. The rounds come at me, there's no bullet holes on my side. There's exit holes on his side. He's got 17 wounds. The guy fired uh, 18 rounds. I got one round. The other 17 rounds came out the other side. And my 
gunner was laying over all bloody and they want to know how I could do that. How, how could rounds be fired at you and go through you and through the wall without making any holes and come out the other side? Plus there's a big transmission in there. So anyway, that's another whole story. So, so basically I've lived this life that's been, I casually talk, it's always interesting. I always find people surprised. I'm going, well, yeah, you have a near-death experience. Yeah, no big deal. Yeah, out-of-body experiences, yes. Uh, walking through walking through a wall, yeah. Time travel, yeah. Two-body experiences, yes. Uh, the list goes on, you know. Reading minds, yeah, everybody can do that. I mean, well, my, my sister and I, the one that died, Marcia, uh, we were little kids, and we would lay outside on this little hill in Oregon we lived there for two years and we had a contest. We'd look at clouds in the sky and we had to, we each picked a cloud and we had to dissolve it or move it. You know, we tried different games, you know, move the cloud to a different direction against the flow, you know, make it go someplace else or dissolve it totally. It's whoever got it done first one. We were five, four, five, you know, three, four, five. It was, nobody told us you can't do that. But we'd sit there and she'd have a deck of cards and we'd play the game and and you'd hold the card up and you would, you know, I'd, I'd put it here or I'd look at it and written and, and she'd have to guess, not just it's an ace or six, it'd have to be ace of diamonds. If it was ace of hearts, it's wrong. It had to be actual suit and, and card. And she'd get 18 to 20, 22, 25 sometimes. I mean, that's out of a deck of 52. I think that's pretty good. And I would get 30, 40 or more correct. That's exact card, exact suit, exact number right so that's kind of stuff we were doing as kids and you know nobody ever stopped us and said no you can't do that no no that's anyway um so my life growing up was one of belief i believe in angels i've had angel experiences also didn't believe in demons until i actually did believe in demons. There's, I didn't realize that. I was thought that, ah, come on, the devil, demons. No, that's as real as angels. There's power on the other side. So that's another whole story we could talk about. Exorcisms I've done with Catholic Church and stuff. Um, I mean, there's a thousand ways we could go on this. I'm kind of giving you. Yeah. In California, we got a, a chocolate company called Seize Candies, and you can get it assorted sorted box of C's candies or the, this has got chewy nuts in it this one's got cream in it this one's got a cherry so my spiritual experience is like a box of C's candy you know assorted experiences if you name an experience i've had it just choose one i actually will i i will ask a question and then feel free to go off on whatever tangent you want um yeah having grown up some of my time in san francisco as a kid i i know about the C's candies and okay. so actually, this is a, just a question I have that may not seem spiritual, but I think it, it kind of is. When you were a kid and you had your near-death experience and you saw ahead, whatever, 59 years or whatever, uh, you said you saw Vietnam, you saw scenes of the future. Now, did you retain, so I guess the question is, when you got to be old enough to make the decision, what was it that prompted you to enlist all right. So was it, yeah, like, was that's it? That's under the assumption that everything was going like that. What happened was. Or were you just. I, I, 
I tried, I tried to join the the uh, Marines. Didn't pass the physical because I had all this history. The Navy turned me down. Air Force turned me down. Coast Guard turned me down. Army turned me down. So I joined the Merchant Marine. Passed the physical because I was going to be out of ship. I was going to ship to Vietnam and on a on a Merchant Marine ship. But before I went, the uh, I had to go to the uh, draft board and get permission. And when I went to the draft board, I said, "Well, you got to." We have to give you a physical before you go. I said, okay, I've already had physicals. I flunked them all. Just the one just like a week before, right? So I go, I report at 4.30 in the morning. I get physical, the same doctors that said no, 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 no. And they go on a draft physical. Yes, yes, yes. Every time I told them something, yeah, you're trying to get, a, yeah, you're just trying to get out of the military. You're trying to get out of the military. No, 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 boy. No, no, you're okay, man. Thought this one doctor goes, put up, put up your hands. And he's counted them. He says, you see, you got five on each hand. You got trigger fingers. You're good. Get out of here. I was, I was getting the same medical information when I was trying to join. And they thought I was trying to, to get in the military and get a pension or something medical or so. I don't know what they wanted. Yeah. But so I was drafted. But then I was drafted. I said, you can't draft me. Now I'm going to join. I, I passed it. I signed up for an extra year so I could get helicopters because, oh, helicopters is a good job. Yeah, you get to be a mechanic. There's jobs. Yeah, sure. Anyway. So, but I did volunteer for Vietnam. Uh, I, I knew I was supposed to be there. And uh, even though I was trying to get there by joining, the, the world wasn't cooperating, but it had to be the right time, the right place. And so I ended up at the right time and the right place. And, and I went there and I, put, I found myself seated in the seat behind the machine gun on a Huey helicopter as a door gunner, crew chief door gunner. And uh, I... I I got, I got all these, oh, Reverend Bill's so brave. He's got a distinguished flying cross. He's got a bronze star. He's got a purple heart. He's got 14 air medals. He's got a, you know, Viennese cross of gallantry. He's got all this crap, right? And I'm going, that's not brave. If you know you're not going to get killed, that's not brave. The brave is a guy that's scared to death and afraid of losing an arm or his life. And the guy goes, that guy, give that guy the medal. I mean, I walked around the battlefield. I was, I was blown up, thrown through the air, uh, shot by an automatic weapon. I was uh, shot down and crashed eight times in a helicopter. I guess that's a little more than normal amount of uh, how many crashes you've been. In, I don't know, but so I've been in eight crashes, uh, and then so, but I knew I was being taken care of. I could feel I was being taken care of when I was in combat. Maybe explosions going off around me and bullets whizzing by and, and I got some guy on my shoulder and I'm running through the jungle trying to get this guy onto my helicopter. And um, It was like, I'm up above me, watching me. It's like I was watching a movie. It was, and everything was in slow motion. It was really, but it was, uh, I tried to save people over there. I knew things were gonna happen. I tell people, but. I learned real quick that changing somebody else's destiny is not in your hands. And you could tell somebody, hey, you get on the helicopter, you're going to get killed, and they go anyway. You know, uh, I felt guilty about that. I finally now realize that I can't change people's destinies. I mean, that's what's supposed to happen to them. So I just let it go. But it bothered me at the time. I mean, you know, you feel like, no, I got to, I got to go to, the, yeah. go to the, the company commander and say, you can't let that helicopter go. No, no, you're not in charge. You're just a, 
an E5, right? You know, you're not an officer. Anyway, I say, no, you can't. You're going to be responsible for it. All those guys get killed tomorrow. And then when they all get killed tomorrow, the next day, right? They, they didn't know what to say to me. So it was really, they got, yeah. spooked, they got spooked out. In a sense, though, I mean, you, you knew you weren't going to die. You yeah. knew you were protected, but still traumatic experience, I would assume. Yeah, and I, figured, I, I knew I wasn't going to die, but I didn't know if I was going to lose an arm or a leg or, or get shot. Right. I mean, it's always a possibility. And I did get wounded, a you know, small wound. And uh, actually, I got injured twice, uh, if you don't count back injuries from helicopter crashes. Believe it or not, dropping out of the sky into a jungle, uh, it's it's not as comfortable as it sounds. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's surprise. Like, what a surprise. And they don't glide. You know, helicopter just kind of falls, you know, and you pull out of rotation. But usually you're so, you're not that up high in the sky. You know, so it's it's boom and you're on the ground. Yeah. So I I've I've been shot down literally uh about a football field's length away from 500 North Vietnamese. And they came in and got the guy that was wounded really bad. And I was wounded, but they left me. And they took the 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 commander of the aircraft and left me and another guy for about eight hours. And I had to hold off 500 North Vietnamese. So you know, maybe I was brave, I don't know. But uh, I, was, I was put in for a silver star that day, which I never got uh, because the aircraft commander happened to be the commander of the whole company. And uh, he left me there, so he wasn't going to give me a medal. It's <laughs> like, you know, I didn't give you a medal. You know, I, I left there and he gave himself a distinguished flying cross. Anyway, so uh, life is a series of choices. And so where I'm at now in my life is at 77 years old, if I got another 10, 12, 13 years, I mean, 13 years, I'll be 90, come on. So, uh, you know, and, and, and I'm looking at, I, I got uh, diabetes, I got congestive heart failure for 18 years now. I got a bad, I got sources of the liver, non-alcoholic kind. I mean, I got my gallbladder gone. I have kidney problems. I mean, the list goes on, you know, bad back, back, neck, bad, I mean, everything's, and yet I function every day. Yeah. yeah I'm good. And you yeah. travel to India, which yeah, you're uh, yeah, you're you're pretty spry. So, uh, and and I was gonna as we're doing this, let me let me pull up a picture because uh, people don't realize what I looked like six months ago. So six months ago, uh, I had my last. It wasn't the last operation, but let me, let me show you what I looked like six months ago. Oh no, please give details. All right, so it, it was worse than it looked because this is after healing up. That's uh, just for the people who are listening instead of watching, um, you can describe. Yeah, this uh, is pretty bashed up. Yeah, well, it, it, in the last decade, I've had my nose cut off three times, but in the last two years, they actually cut the nose off twice and the nostril additional time after it had already been trying to heal and then they come back cut that cancer and i had about 300 stitches in this face uh two years 300 stitches you know big tumors coming out of here this whole forehead was removed meanwhile you have the best skin ever and you look so much younger than your age so well thank you there you so, go you would never this, ever know and there's a scar that runs from here they cut me all the way to here and took a tumor out underneath the eye so i mean 
this eye is all swollen up right now from the pink eye, but but you literally look like your your you Botox, like you just look. Yeah, there's no wrinkles. There's no nothing. You see an eye there, right, or, or line. So I went through all these processes of healing my body, and that's where I took the techniques from Hawaii and the techniques I learned from yoga and the other techniques I put them together. And instead of using magic, what I call magic yoga, because before that I'd just go boom, you know, and I get rid of pain. I go to the dentist, drill it down, go ahead, do whatever you want to do. I mean, I, I didn't take. There was no Novocaine, Novocaine shot, just drill it. Well, it's going to hit the nerve. And you see the doctor doing this, you know, making that face like he's playing a like guitar on high notes, you know, that guitar face, you know. So and I can't do this. Go, don't do it. Oh, it's going to hurt you. I go, just do it. She, that was it. All right. But see, that was using yoga at a different level. Now, let's talk about my second near-death experience. Then we'll go to the third. And that'll all tie this in. Actually, what I'm trying to take you to is what I teach in my healing process, which is important because I'm going around the world with that and across the United States. So, and it's self-healing what I'm teaching. It's not Bill McDonald out there, Reverend Bill teaching it, you know, doing this. Even though I'm facilitating it, I'm basically charging the freak, I'm changing and charging the frequency and the energy of the people I'm doing this instruction to. If their batteries are charged up and I could get their frequency a little bit more in tune, they're capable of doing this on their own. We all are. You don't need some guru, healer, somebody outside of you that's going to save you. Everything you need is within you. You already have it. You possess it. But unfortunately, most people, they don't see clearly in the mirror or they have mental, emotional issues and they, they have disbeliefs and they have a lot of negativity and stuff. And so our frequencies between the body, the mind and the spirit, when they're out of a line, then you're, then you're gonna have mental illness or spiritual illness or physical illness. That's all it's about. So my job is to change frequency on people. And that's what I was doing in India. We're talking about changing frequencies. So anyway, so- Oh, can you, before you continue, can you just sort of, explain that you don't have to explain your process but what does that actually mean is changing their frequencies or what is attunement I okay guess. No, think about a tuning fork and and i noticed when i went on somebody told me that when i was doing one of my classes you know river bill people sell tuning forks for healing you know because you know you could you know you take the tuning fork and a certain frequencies you could actually kill cancer and stuff but for years i've been talking about because i didn't know that but for years i'm visualizing your body, the three bodies, I call the three bodies, the mind, the spirit, and the physical, as like tuning forks. As you evolve spiritually, meaning as you meditate, as you raise your kundalini energy, for those out there who don't know what I'm talking about, we're raising the energy and the light in your spine, in your whole system. You know, that's why those old paintings, they will show somebody with a halo around them. They're enlightening, right? They're enlightened. You know, there's light is actually, they're trying to show the, the light that's coming from their aura. That's not an accident. That's not an artistic thing. You, if, you, if you're actually in tune with that, you obviously are at times, you can see people's auras. It's not a big deal. But by negatively, you can negatively impact the frequency that you operate at by drugs, alcohol, sex, violence, pornography, 
negativity, the kind of music you listen to. I mean, there's a big difference between listening to a boom, 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 boom rap music and then listening to Amazing Grace. There's a whole different feeling that comes over you and your body will vibrate at a different level. Nothing wrong with rap music, nothing wrong with all this. Like, but I'm telling you, but if you're living on that all the time, your body is vibrating with the frequency of what you read, what you see, what you eat, what you do, what you drink, and what you think. Okay? So those things will influence a downward flow or an upward flow of your energy. And so what you eat is important. If you're eating a lot of heavy meats, you're eating beef, you're eating pork, uh, you know, a lot of the heavy red meats, that's going to affect your energy. It's not a sin. It's not good, bad. It's just, it's just stuff, right? Not talking sin here. Oh my God, the guy ate meat. That's, who cares? It's about frequency. So if you want to vibrate at a higher frequency, you have to feed your body properly and alcohol won't do it. Uh, mushrooms won't do it and and all these other special things you get in south america and all these things people are chasing experiences they're not chasing changing their frequency whole different thing so i'm not teaching that like i call it the psychedelics you know runway but once they want to experience life they want to experience spiritual stuff so they do all these artificial things yeah they have experiences but they're not experiencing love and so i'm teaching people love is love is god love is your mantra love is your dogma love is your sermon love is is your very breath so that's what i'm incorporating the teachings and so people ask well how do i raise my frequency you know the food and stuff you know because they have to they understand doing these things that not to do things i said well by using meditation and higher forms of meditation you can change well, if you do any kind of kundalini meditation, anything raises your energy, you can change. Even simple meditations like Hong Saw, Om Technique, Kriya Yoga, of course, all those things will change your frequency. But love is the biggest changer. When you're in love, truly in love, not in lust, different, not a physical lust, but in love. When you're in love with the divine or in love with somebody, you're vibrated. Oh, I dig your vibration in the 60s, 70s, right? Yeah, man, like his vibration, man. Yeah, because you're around like people that have the same frequency that you do. There's a reason that you get along with certain people. But there's people in San Quentin, in person, they vibrate the same rate. Yeah, the lower ends, right? They, they understand each other. They, they get along. So, so I'm teaching people, meditate, prayer, uh, watch your breath, watch what you eat, watch all these things. Bottom line, if you, if you don't love yourself, that kills all the frequency. That's, everything starts with the you. To go back to my kahuna friend, Dr. David K. Bray, uh, and you can go on the internet and look him up if you want, but Bray was uh, Big Daddy Bray, was uh, a proponent of this Ho'oponopono. That's a big, you know, big Yeah, I was going to actually ask you about it because when you said yeah, yeah, yeah. So earlier like, about self about see, I, never, I, I never called that. I was just it wasn't a big it wasn't a big deal in the 1960s, you know, early 60s. Now it is in the 2000s, but it's been around 1800, 2000 years at least. 
and people are now just discovering, oh my gosh, we, we, we don't, and it's a fad, but they, they lose what the real importance is. The real importance is everything depends on you loving you. You got a daughter, you got a teenage daughter acting up, work on you. You got a sick husband, work on you. You know, you're mad at the world going crazy with politics, work on you. Everything is working on you. When you love you, accept you, forgive you, and you're grateful for everything. When I say gratitude, I'm talking about when I had my nose cut off, big tumors came out and all this stuff. I was grateful for the cancer. I knew it was a gift. What was it going to teach me? It was going to teach me how to heal myself, but no magic. Unfortunately, your show is all about magic, but no magic. This is all about love. I had to find a technique that I could teach to others. I can't just say, well, go into this meditative trance and do that. No, I had to actually go through all the, getting your nose cut off, to be honest with you, it's not as much fun as that sounds. And, you know, it's like, well, okay, just, you know, it's, it's a big deal. It's, and then they burn it, of course, and then they stitch it. So it's not comfortable, yet I never took a pin pill at all, not one. All stitches, not one. Cut the full forehead off, not one. I learn techniques, which I teach in my workshop on how to handle pain. And I'll kind of give you an example of that because there's healers out there. People call themselves healers. I don't, I'm not a healer. I am like a waiter. You go into a restaurant, to give you an example, you get this great meal. The chef just made this great meal. You know, the chef did all the work. I just took what he did and brought it to your table. And, and now you want to, oh, thank you. No, I didn't do nothing. It's like you get healed. I didn't do nothing. You know, the source, God, love, which you are part of, I just connected you with the source. So I'm more of a facilitator of love. I just get people to, I get you to wake up that part of you that realizes the oneness and it all hinges on you loving you. If you can't forgive yourself, if you can't love yourself, you can't help anybody else. You can't change anybody else. You can't heal the world. You can't even find happiness. All right, so that's, that's kind of where I'm at. So um, if you got more time, I'll go into a, a deeper thing on this if you'd like. Uh, I do, I would love it. I have. Well, go into that first, because I do have a question about what well, you just said as well. Because... This might take us, I don't want to get you too off. Yeah, course, go ahead. But... We can always do a part two later. Go ahead. Yeah, I thank you. I wanted to know, I've been thinking about this a lot this week, about how when we're born, when babies haven't haven't been affected by the 3D world yet. So there's that part of them that still understands who they are. And then as we grow up, we're sort of trained out of it. Why do you think if we come here and we are love, you know, we are love, we are source, we are, we are this beautiful energy. Why is it so hard to love ourselves in this world? Because I would say almost everyone I know at some point in their lives has struggled with this. I'm writing a book about my experiences and, and, hoping to encourage others because I'm a recovering addict, but um, there, what is that? Why do we, 
lose right. that love for ourselves. So, so let's talk about that. First off, you got you don't come in like I said earlier. You're not a blank slate, so you're coming in with a history uh, that strings over thousands of lifetimes, perhaps. You're fresh from heaven, fresh from the womb. So it's quite a shock to come back into this world. But how many times have your parents told you when you're growing up how stupid that was and was something you did? How dumb are you? You're never going to amount to nothing. You're ugly. You're stupid. You're this, you're that. Kids get hit with this stuff. I hear parents all the time. It's like, what? You're never going to amount to nothing. You know, it, it, we don't, we don't know how to encourage children. We, we really missed the boat on that, but that's part of the problem. Part of the problem is we've been programmed negatively growing up, but we've also are predisposed to that when we came because we brought it with us already. So your level of, say you're a reincarnating soul that committed suicide previous one or two or three lifetimes in a row or whatever. Well, you're gonna have some real self-hating there. There's some real stuff going on there that you'll never understand until you, you leave again. And if you're successful, you get past that. Uh, Self-hate is, is the greatest sin that you could ever commit. And if you think about it this way, because I, I in, in the book I'm working on now called I Still Remember Tomorrow, which is an interesting title, which we can talk about later. <laughs> but uh, we... I'm trying to think how I can say this. I'm going to take you down a track. We don't have enough time for it. But basically, we uh, we we are self-programmed in such a manner that we fail to see the light within us. I have a hard time when I meet people because I read people really well, and I I've got several young, beautiful, beautiful young ladies that come to me in their late 20s and 90s and 30s and suicidal, you know, and, and they hate themselves and they're always sad. They're always depressed. And I'm going, my God, you got, you got a college education. You, you got beauty. You got, you got brains, you, you know, you, uh, and yet they hate themselves. When people do drugs and alcohol, and they, and they start hating themselves for that, not realizing that when people go chasing a drug or alcohol or any kind of addiction like that, what they're really chasing is something to feel better. They're really chasing the experience of feeling euphoric of some way, whether it's through a drug or food or alcohol or whatever it is that they're chasing. Even sex could be you know, an addiction. So it's not they're doing something unpleasant they're chasing something, they're not chasing the, the darkness, they think they're chasing the light. So it's imperative when I find people that are in this is to really get them to focus on what it's doing to their body, their soul, their spirit. But it's not the end of the world because you wake up one day and say, I don't wanna do this anymore, no matter how difficult that may be to reach that decision. But once you firmly make that decision, the whole universe will come to help you. And I, I love 12 step programs. I got friends in it for 30 years or more at my age. I got friends in it 40 years. Uh, I, I only have one problem with, with 12 step program. I think it needs a 13th step. Because when you keep repeating, I am 
an addict of whatever it is for 20, 30 years, you're stuck. At some point, you got to say, I am love. I am God. I am hope. I am bliss. I am joy. And when you repeat those things, instead of, my name's Bill, I am an alcoholic. Well, boom, you just put yourself in a box. And this goes against all 12 step programs. So I always hate to say this because people will take it wrong because no, your first few years, do that. Whatever it takes to save your life, get sober, do that. But at some point, you got to wake up to the 13th step. And the 13th step is, I am love. And you have to really view that yes. to the next level. So I am a proponent of what I call the 13th step, which is that spiritual step with you know, I'm no longer, I am helpless. No, you're everything. The whole cosmos within you. And that's part of trying to get people to wake up. But you can't, you can't take somebody there the first five years, let's say. Right. Because they're one step away from being, a, you know, a, a back doing the old same thing again. So I never tell people, well, don't, don't start off with the 13th step. But once you've been in there long enough and you're strong enough, then you got to go, no, I'm not helpless. And no, I don't want the alcohol anymore because I know it's it's bad for it's it's not a sin, but it changes my frequency to a frequency I don't want. It's not a vibration I want. It's not who I want to be. So we have to treat addictions as a spiritual disease, not as a crime. That's a big thing in this country. I just never understood, guys. When I was growing up, there's people that, you know, caught with marijuana and they went to jail and I'm going, good grief, what are we doing these people? I just wanted to feel good, right? I'm, I'm not in favor of any drugs, but I, I, if I, I just legalize it and just say, just train people you don't need it, right? So, um, yeah, so I, I want to thank you yeah. for that. I, I was going to, I do want, if you can remember where you were going, I, I wanted to just sort of thank you for saying that um and i really appreciate that 13th step idea i never thought of it being myself a sex and love addict but 15 years like it, it was so long ago i don't identify with that addict anymore but i'm you know they teach you you're old, once an addict always an addict right so i'm very very healthy now i feel very healthy and very healed i don't that other person i was is still part of me but it isn't who i am now you have, to think, you have to think of the drugs or whatever addiction you had as poison. Yeah. You know, that's poison. So it's not about I am this or I am that. Well, you know what? I don't take any, I, I've never done this stuff, right? I don't do this stuff. I don't drink. I don't do any of this stuff. Why? Not because it was a sin. Not because it was illegal or not. I mean, marijuana is legal. I don't even do that. It's, I don't need it. I get high from spiritual stuff I do. Okay. Yeah. Because you have to, when you take an addict off drugs, but you don't replace it, here's where I'm going with the 13th step. If you don't replace it with something that gets you naturally high, then they always have that craving. So when you're doing the drugs, you're trying to get feeling good. You know, you want that for you. But if you can do that through meditation, and you go, wow, this is what he's talking about. This is, this is good. I feel great. But no, you should never touch it again. Nobody should touch it because anybody that's not an alcoholic or a drug addict and you people want oh, to have a drink, you know, I, I'll see that. Have a drink. Come on, you're 21. 
you never know that first drink, the guy could be a former alcoholic from a previous lifetime. He just woke up to old memories and boom, the guy's hooked, right? Or drug. Never, never, ever approve anybody ever giving anybody. Don't. Don't ever try him. Well, you're young, got to try him. Yeah, I was young in college. I tried. No, that's crap. LSD, all these guru guys doing LSD. No, they're doing experiences. It's not the same thing as doing love. It's artificial. It's not the same thing. It's not, it's not healthy spiritually. It's a shortcut. And shortcut has a problem because it has side effects. Right. And uh, so it's not like God is punishing you, but I understand addiction because if something makes you feel good, like sex, you know, sex is good, you procreation, you know, people, male and female or whatever, it's good, everybody feels good. But you can become a sex addict. Too much of it's bad, right? Too much of anything is bad. But with drugs, uh, and especially psychedelics, because I know I met a guy, his brother was a straight A student in 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 LA, and he graduated at the top, you know, the top of his class. He was a valedictorian. Went to Europe, did LSD three times. Third time, he never came down. He just went psychotic, and that was. He's been about 60 years in a home now where he's taken care of. Nobody ever tells you there's a possibility that could happen, right? Mm -hmm. A whole life wasted. So, and now with fentanyl, who knows where you're going to go. So anyway, so bottom line is this. You have to treat addicts uh, the same way you treat somebody on a diet. You know, take away the candy, but give them something good to eat. Teach yeah. them. Teach them. Take away the drugs, but you got to replace it with something. So I'm telling people, you got to replace it with love. And you got to start on that person. They got to love themselves. If they truly love themselves, they wouldn't take the drugs because they know the drugs mess up their mind and the relationships. In fact, it's a whole thing. You lose relationships. That's the big thing. You lose relationships. Family, friends, spouses, girlfriend, boyfriend. I mean, you mess everything up. And then plus the legal issues and the health issues. I mean, the list just cascades. But you feel good. You know, I got friends that oh yeah, I felt good. I'd really like to feel that way again. And they and they've been off the drugs for 35 years. And the guy still tells me he's liked heroin. I mean, he's still tempted to this day, right? You get them meditating. You gotta give them something that gives them that euphoric lift. You can't just take things away. So that's my 13th step. So it's involving loving yourself. It's involving, you know, acknowledging that, uh, you know, you're not this, you, I am whatever powerful thing you want to be, but whatever you say after I am, is very powerful. So every time you go to a meeting, somebody goes to a meeting, I am an alcoholic, I'm a drug addict. They're never getting over that. They're never forgiving themselves. They're not getting past it. They're stuck in a box. They're always there. Instead of saying, you know, I have a, you know, I, I, have, I have an allergy to drugs, right? That's okay. I have an allergy to drugs. They don't agree. Drugs don't agree with me. But I'm not an alcoholic. I'm not a drug addict. They don't agree with me. I don't take them. End of story. Boom. Move on. But it messes up the program. The, the program doesn't do that. So I've watched people get uh, into these programs, and the program becomes a new religion. They replace going to church and everything else they're doing with 
go into the meetings two, they go out of town, they go to a meeting, they, you know, two or three times a week, they go to a meeting. Uh, every time they feel weak, they go to a meeting. But you know what really helps them? It's when they help other people. Mm -hmm. That's going to the meetings. Yeah, great. It's helping when you become a sponsor. Yeah. That's when you change. And that's what I teach. It's when you think outside of yourself and you see your greater self out there. You got to help this person because you were there. You know, it feels that's the greater self and you're working for their benefit. And you benefit more than they do. That's the being of service part in the healing, which is a huge part of it. And I always said, watching so many people come into the sex and love program from Alcoholics Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous, I've always felt, and again, it's just my, an idea I have that all addictions stem from love addiction, which is the lack of self-love and the lack of, and you could say, and they say it's a oh, you're absolutely, you're absolutely right. Yeah. And that could, and that to me means I, I just so that no one misunderstands when they in the in the twelve step program when they say it's a god sized hole, they're not saying you need to be religious. It's saying it's the understanding that we are God, we are God. So if we don't love ourselves, it's not about loving, worshiping some entity, worshiping some, going to church. It's about when you love yourself, you love. We are all one. You love everyone. You love God. You love you love yourself first, just like you said. So, yep. in my mind, love addiction is the core of all addictions. It doesn't matter if you're drinking, you're drugging, you're gambling, you're whatever it is. It's all comes from this deep, deep pain of. And I know mine did, as you said, from people telling me I was ugly when I was little. And um, I just had this conversation with a friend yesterday where he's like, "Do you know where your stuff comes from?" I said, "Oh, a hundred percent." It, and it comes from a two-year-old telling me I was ugly. I mean, a baby, you know, it's, but when, but that gets in your bones. And he said he was bullied and we're both like, All you right. know, All doing right. well in life. But so, so when I do my workshops, I touch on this, but I also, I teach forgiveness as part of this process. Yeah. People can forgive others. I don't have any trouble with that. I can convince them. Yeah. Forgive others. That helps you. Great. But when I tell them they got to forgive themselves for their addictions or how they did their divorce or whatever it is, they go, well, I'm smarter than that. I know better than that. I can't forgive myself for that. I go, wait, God can forgive you, but you're bigger than God. You can't forgive you. And they go, what? I go, no, if, if God can forgive you, why can't you're not better? You're better than the God, you know? So no, you're, you're better than God. You can't, you got a higher standard than God. So you can't forgive you. So I, I was throwing that at people because that's basically what you're saying. But people have a hard time forgiving what they've done, and especially if they've hurt anybody, hurt their parents and others and things. So if, if, if you come to one of my workshops that, that I do, you'll find it. I'm, I'm, I'm into this. Get rid of the past. When you go to bed at night, it's like death. That person that day is gone. It's dead. When you wake up, it's reincarnation. Be the person that you want to be when you wake up. Try to do that every day. And you eventually get better every day. But if you keep living yesterday, uh, and you do that when you say, I am an, I'm an alcoholic or I'm a whatever, you're always living in the past. It works, but it only takes you so far. So maybe I got to write a book, The 13th Step. So it's, you need the 12 steps to get so great. 
I go along with that. But at some point you gotta go, but there's too many people out there. The trouble is there's too many people out there who think they're, I'm stronger than this. I don't, I don't even need the program at all. And those people get into trouble. I've seen people 10, 15 years drop. I don't need the program anymore. And they drop out without having connected with something that gives them the bliss that they had from these things. And it's first temptation they come or first bad thing that happens in their life. They'll take a drink or a drug. So 15 years sober means nothing if you take it one more time. Mm -hmm. And and then you then then you, you really get then you work with somebody who goes, oh my God. And then they just, well, I might as well just keep drinking or just keep doing the drug. I mean, I blew it, you know, and then they don't forgive themselves. I mean, how many people go through addiction programs, you know, five times, six times, ten times? So eventually you click when you want it, when you're supposed to, you will. So so I don't know if I sound positive or negative, but I'm really positive about the program. Yeah. It's because it's, it's, it's like a it life. Yeah. It saved mine. And I, and I'm against people thinking that they're stronger and better. And it's like, well, I'm bipolar. I don't need to take this medicine anymore. I feel good. Well, you feel good because you're taking the medicine. Yeah. Stop taking the medicine. You go crazy again. Right. So life is like that. So my idea is, is self-healing, which is basically teaching people to love. But it has to start with you. And you got to forgive you. But you got to be grateful for it. In fact, you did drugs. You should look at that as a gift. All right, now I did drugs. What did I learn from that? What was the gift? What did I learn? And it took you a little deeper, it took you deeper inside yourself. A lot of self-reflection, a lot of self-improvement a lot of avenues that you would explore that you had had not uh, done the drugs you wouldn't have. And it also has humbled you and it's also made you more compassionate. I mean, you start, so you start listening to all the gifts that it gave you. And the fact that you went through that, you're gonna run into people and you have and you do that have the problem now. And when you talk to them, it has validity. You say, look, I've been there, man. Don't give me that crap. I know where, don't give me that line. I know you're lying. Well, you understand them, you know where they went and they're gonna listen to you. An alcoholic will listen to an alcoholic, a drug addict will listen to an extra ex, uh, drug addict. Now me, a teetotaler, I don't even try to go there. You know, I, tell, I, I work with veterans, you know, cause I understand them and PTSD and all that. But on, on the on addictions and stuff, why, why should they listen to me? I mean, I wouldn't listen to me. I go, no, go to somebody that's been there, did that, and fixed it. So that's the way I felt about healing. So I had all these things happen to me. And I was going to tell you a story about how I use this healing technique to go back because we. Yeah, yeah, please finish that. that long because pause. I, didn't to... I, I don't know how much okay. time I had. That's okay. This will be our, this will be where, but I want to, I want you to continue on because I know I didn't mean okay. to interrupt and throw you because off. Because here's the deal people out there and they're healing. And it's like people doing, they put their hands over people and they're all master Reiki, Reiki or whatever, whatever it's called, right? They're all doing this stuff. And I'm going, really? Oh yeah, I feel better. I said, have you fixed any broken bones? Have you taken somebody out of a coma? No, no. Have you fixed broken teeth? And they laugh at me. All right. So all those things, my method I've done. All right. So two and a half years ago, um, I, I bit into a, a pitless date that obviously wasn't pitless. Yeah. 
pit in it and I, I broke three teeth, two up here, one down below molars, cracked, shattered pieces of the shards of the teeth were down in the gum right into the, the nerves. And it was like, you took a breath, you, you, the air would hit all the nerves and it was crazy, it was bad. So it took me three days to finally get to the dentist because it, it was during COVID time, nobody was taking new patients. Finally got in and took x-rays and the guy goes, hey, you got three broken teeth. And I go, I knew that doc, that's why I'm here. Uh, and he says, well, he says, I, I'm looking at two, probably really three root canals, gonna pull three teeth, probably, yeah. And uh, then I'll put these little screw, metal screws in there. And so he's thinking about 20 grand, you know, and I'm going, I said, well, okay, well, let's do it, doc. And he says, oh, no, no, this was like in March. And he says, uh, I, I, I got an opening uh, August 28th. And I said, well, I can't wait, doc. So I said, will you call me when you get the cancellation? So I left there and I thought, okay, because I'm teaching, I'm teaching veterans and people how to handle pain. And I thought, well, this is a good test, right? So I use this love technique where I just, I just, grab my gums, my teeth, and I just put my hands on there and I just, I love you. Talking to the teeth, I love you, the teeth, right? I love you, meaning I love my teeth, I love you. Thank you for all the service you've given me. I am so sorry that I broke you. Forgive me, I love you. I did this for like two minutes. That was the Ho'oponopono. And then I just <laughs> sat afterwards and I realized that all the pain was gone. So I went downstairs, got some ice water, nothing. Ate a meal, nothing. A few days later, I finally get a call to go to the, the dentist's office. He goes there and he holds up the x-ray and he goes, I got, he says, there's two of dentists today here for you. We've shut down everything this morning. We're gonna work on you. We're gonna pull three teeth. We're gonna do three root canals. And like, like I said, do whatever you're gonna do. 45 minutes, he's done. And I go, really? He goes, well, I apologize. I, I didn't do any, I didn't pull your teeth. I said, well, thank you. He says, I didn't do any root canals. I said, well, thank you. He says, I didn't even give you any crowns. I go, thank you. He says, it was kind of like, I just, everything, it was kind of going back together. He just kind of filled in like a filling, you know, and was, all these broken shattered teeth were just not even a crown molar. Wow. No pain. So, I put a video on my YouTube channel. I'll explain how I did this in a little more detail. And the first month I had about hundred people tell me that it reduced their pain, got rid of whatever the problem was. It fixed this, it fixed that. Pure love works. So that a few weeks later, uh, I, I had my nose cut off and I had the stitches in and I come home and it's just really painful. I didn't, I didn't want no pain pills. I, I just handle it and I'm there. And it's just really going crazy. Just and I just go, I love you. I love you. I love my nose. Even though it wasn't my nose anymore. I love you. I love you. I just did that and boom, pain went away. End of story. So the next month, my spinal column collapses. I got osteoporosis, but it, I lost an inch and a half. I don't know if I lost the inch and a half in, 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 in a day or over a year or two. I don't know. But when I went, it was so bad. It was, I was in so much pain. I couldn't stand stuff. I lost an inch and a half. It was, it was bone on bone. It like the, all the, the spinal column was just grinding. I couldn't. So I, I kind of got over to this chair and I sit here like this. I go, and then I laughed and I thought, I just, I just, who heals broken teeth? This is just a friggin' back, right? I can do this. And that's all I said. 
and the pain in the back was gone. I probably, if you took an x-ray, it's probably still messed up, but I don't care. It, it works and I have no pain. I don't care what it looks like inside, right? So this healing technique I've used, and the fact that uh, over and over and over again, I got more and more examples. When I give a class, I give hundreds of examples. It works. It works because it's pure love. I forgive myself for damaging my body, you know, I, and, and I'm grateful. I'm, I think I'm grateful to the cancer because the cancer gave me these wonderful stories and helped me develop the techniques. So now I can, I can't go to people and say, all right, just meditate, boom, it's gone. No, nobody's going to do it. But I can show pictures of how terrible my face was and there's more. And, and all the crap I went through and I go, look, I went through all this just months ago, weeks ago, and here I am, boom, it works. So I'm walking my talk. So as you talk to a drug addict, they listen to you, you walk in your talk, you're sober, you did it, right? I go to them with the helium saying, hey, look, this is not theory. This is not, this is what the guys told me what I learned and, and do it. No, no theory. This is walking the talk. And unless I had all these things happen to me, then I wouldn't be able to demonstrate it. So having my body ripped apart all the time and all kinds of stuff happened to me and open heart surgery and all these great, wonderful things happened to me. And yet I always boom, pop back up and I'm wonderful. That's a blessing. That's why it's happening. I'm grateful that it happens. If it never happened, I wouldn't be teaching this. I wouldn't have this gift to give people. So that's the gift that cancer brought me. And that's what, you got to look at with your with addiction. Addiction brought you the gift of helping others, making you empathetic. You can't, it's hard to teach empathy to people unless they've really been down there. Mm -hmm. It's hard. It's hard for certain. I look at politicians. There's no empathy out there at all. Let's get rid of Social Security. Let's do this. Let's do whatever whatever their thing is. Right? You both parties. There's no empathy. It's 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 not there, and it's not part of the, who they are. So. By you changing you, going back to frequency, your frequency helps change the frequency of those around you, okay? And just by changing you, you've changed the frequency level of the entire world population, and the world itself. So right now, we have earthquakes, bad earthquakes in Turkey and Syria, we got bad storms in America. We got all this stuff. You got to say, all that is world karma as well. All the hate out there, all the anger out there, the earth, you're changing the vibrations, especially an earthquake, right? Or in hurricanes and volcanoes, you're changing the frequency and the vibration. Love, if more people were loving, giving that loving energy, you could reduce tidal waves, earthquakes, all that stuff. There's direct connection, direct connection. So we, we have to start looking at things differently. It's when we separate ourselves from others, other countries, other people, other religions, other political parties, when you start separating people, red states, blue states, it's, it's just people. Put aside all your political stuff. I took you're never going to see anything political on my websites, on my talks, nothing. I don't care what political beliefs you have. I'm happy. You're happy. You're happy. Great. Let it go. I don't care what religion you are. I'm happy for you. Let it go. Just love everybody. Be respectful. 
you know? And so in an essence, I started, I woke up one day this last summer, I had a dream. In the dream, I'm supposed to go on this world healing tour. And I posted something. I've gone on the world healing tour. I'm going to all these countries. I listed, I had nothing lined up, no commitments, no money, no nothing. And boom, I just went to India and now I'm getting invited to Germany to work with the Invictus Games by the German government. They want me to come over there and help veterans and, and their families. And so I spent several weeks in Germany in September working for healing of veterans and their families, right? And, and then I'll, I'll go to England and Ireland again and I will go to, uh, well, I'm gonna be in Salt Lake City uh, in another couple of weeks. I'll be in Salt Lake City teaching this. And then I'm going to Syracuse, New York, and then I'm going to Raleigh, North Carolina, and then I'm going to Florida, Tampa Bay, then I'm going to other states, and then I'm going to end up in Wisconsin, Germany, and I mean, you name it, I'm going to be, and it's just taken off on its own, and I'm an old guy, that's, but it's, and I'm retired, I'm not rich, and I give, like in India, I, I, I gave free food, met people, took care of people, um, I've been going to go to Germany. I never ask for a penny anywhere I go. Never. People go, you can't. It's like my wife goes, I went to Santa Cruz. First one I did, it was, I had about a thousand dollars committed for a cost. People think it's cheap. I had Santa Cruz County. I had to buy $400 worth of insurance to do an event there. I'm going, what? For five hours? It's almost a hundred, almost a hundred bucks an hour. That was crazy, right? So I had, I had that, and then I had to spend hundred fifty dollars an hour for the event place, and then I had to buy a bunch of other stuff. And, and I'm going, there's a thousand bucks, and yet people that were helping me go, well, you got to put on there a price. I go, no, no. How about suggested donation? I go, if it's just a donation, that doesn't say free, does it? That's you're expecting something. So no, you can make an announcement when you introduce me that anybody wants to help out, very subtle, if they want to help out, great. I had a donation box, never knew who put any money in there. It wasn't like laid to my hand and they got credit for it, but somebody paid for the insurance, somebody paid for the rental hall, somebody paid for this, paid for that. People brought free food in for everybody. I had enough left over from that in the positive that I rented a church and I rented an entire church in Elk Grove here and, and gave a free event in Elk Grove for all these old people from the rest home and all these people that I knew they had no money. Nobody was gonna give me a penny, but I had money left because it's not about profit. I've met my needs there and I had money left over. I gave it to the next event, right? And then I did gave an event down in Southern California, Encinitas and got a little left over in that and that helped me in India. So everything is being played forward. So I go out there and I just do events around the world. I leave home, willing to pay for everything, willing to go in debt. And yet somehow I always break even or a little bit better. But it's not my goal. My goal is to get the message out. It's not about the messenger, it's about the message. So that's what I'm doing. That's what I'm promoting. So hopefully in the next, see, I'm going to teach people how to do this the next three years. I'm looking for people that want to be, there's a little commercial for you. I'm looking for people that want to be a facilitator of healing, self-healing. 
I'm looking for people that want to train with me online, in person, whatever, over the course of the next two or three years and do what I'm doing and not go out and charge people. I'm not looking for somebody to have a job or a business. But by the same token, if, if they accept donations, they got to survive. Nobody's crazy as me, you know, but um, so that's what I'm doing. So hopefully in the next few years, I'm going to train people to replace what I'm doing. I can't, I went out there and I tried, you know, going to these different places and countries. There's just too many people. I can't train billions. I mean, I've had a million something on my website or on my uh, YouTube channel and almost 2 million on other channels for other for stuff like you're doing. So it's like, I, I can't affect, I can't affect that many people in person. And this healing thing really needs to be done in person because it's about me actually hands-on, hands-on energy, charging and changing these people's frequencies. And as crazy as that sound, I'm telling you it works. And I'm getting fantastic results and feedback is just unbelievable. But it's at the level of acceptance. If you're doubtful and don't believe, you're gonna get exactly what you expect, nothing. You have to really open your heart shut your mind off the mind gets you in trouble the more logical somebody is the more thinker they are more they're in the head uh they don't do as well as somebody that's more childlike and just accepts so i believe in angels yeah that's cool you know those kind of people i do well with because they don't try to use logic to, to not accept something or try to figure out why it works doesn't work but people have the healing tools already within them they possess everything they need except if they were a car their battery would be dead and they couldn't start the car my job is to help boost that battery so i boost the battery i get them going and then get them to start changing their own frequency so I, so that's, great. that's my crazy that's my crazy thing and that's what i'm doing for the next few years and um well thank you for sharing your some of your a tiny bit of your story with us and for the inspiration for the except for the for the wonderful stories for bringing your energy it's been such a pleasure to have you and i can't wait to see what is down the road for you and to keep following your your journey so if people want to know more about me they can i have a website www.revrevbillmcdonald.com that's about as easy as you can get and uh, if they want to Facebook me and follow me or something, I got a Facebook page, Rev Bill McDonald. Uh, and if they want to go to my YouTube channel, guess what? Rev Bill McDonald. Oh, that works again. So I got a YouTube channel. I got about 150 videos on there, a whole bunch on healing uh, for veterans. There's a whole section stuff for them. There's inspirational stories. I even interview a few people once in a while that I think have add something to the energy, but mostly it's me. And, uh, I have books out there. I got books in German. I got books in Spanish. I got books in English, of course. I've got a bunch of books out there. Uh, they're on Amazon. And all of the and the books you can get. From, well, you, you have links on your website, I would assume, because I'm going to put your links below. So, yeah. um, if anyone wants to find out where to get them, I just want to make sure they will be able to right on your website. And thank you for the work you're doing. Well, thank you. Yes, such a pleasure. Take care.